would, please be opening your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. In just a few moments, we're going to notice our passage for tonight's sermon. There are almost 4 million miles of highway and roadways in the United States. And anyone who has ever traveled Highway 27 or Interstate 24 during rush hour understands that they are heavily used. Now most people in the world travel these roads, roads just like them, almost on a daily basis. We have to use paths and roadways and and road systems and things of that nature to get where we're going. But I want us to notice that there are other paths on which we walk in this life. It's not just a highway or a road or whatever the case may be. Those paths of which we're going to speak about for a few moments tonight are our choices. Our choices in this life. Now we walk along these paths, not just in a secular way, in our everyday lives, but we must walk along these paths in our spiritual lives as well. I do want us to always understand, when we speak of things of this nature, we normally will talk about our, quote, everyday lives, or our secular lives, or things of that nature, and then we talk about our spiritual lives. One is not exclusive of the other. Our everyday lives are our spiritual lives as well. Our spiritual lives will impact our everyday lives, and our everyday lives will definitely impact our spiritual lives. We have to live in this world in such a way that is pleasing to God. But there are many paths from which we can choose as we go along and walk in this life. And I've entitled tonight's sermon, Which Path is Mine? Which path is mine? In his wisdom, Solomon addressed the paths of life in general. I want us to notice, beginning with verse 14 of Proverbs 4. The wise man said, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. Avoid it, don't go by it, turn away from it, and get out of there. He was very clear in that, wasn't he? He said, For they sleep not, except they have done mischief. And their sleep is taken away, unless they cause some to fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness, and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is as the shining light, that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness, they know not at what they stumble. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health all to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Proverbs four fourteen through 23. As we look at some of the paths presented to us for just a few moments, let us determine to walk the path of God. And we're going to notice first that there is a path that Satan has set before us, hoping that we will take that path instead of the path of God. And that is the path of preoccupation. Preoccupation, that's our first point. John issued a warning about being preoccupied 
with the things of this world. He said, John, 1 John 2, 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If a man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now those previously addressed in this letter, they were children, fathers, young men, and they had triumphed over sin and sinfulness, and they were living in such a way that God wanted them to live, but John still issued a warning because we have to remain vigilant. We have to be careful. And because of those great dangers in the world, he wanted to remind them, don't fall in love with the things of this world. Don't fall in love with the things of, uh, that can be offered by this world. Now he wasn't talking about the material universe or the world. It's okay to love being alive in this world. I don't know anyone who wishes their life was over that is of a sound mind, right? He's talking about the sinful things that are offered to us through the temptations of this world. We are to enjoy this great earth that He's blessed us with. We're to enjoy it. That was one of the great benefits that my family felt like that we would was gaining again by moving back to this part of the state. The wonderful outdoor that is outdoors that's offered in East Tennessee, to enjoy the wonderful blessings of this earth. But we're not to fall in love with the sinful things of this world. That's what John's talking about. Now, in other words, they, and by extension, us, his readers, and to us, we have to be aware of that, right? We may call this path of preoccupation the road to Emmaus. Do you remember the road to Emmaus? After the death of Jesus, many people were, uh, they, they didn't quite understand exactly what was going on. They were confused about the events. And they were actually getting more caught up in the, the story of what happened or the, uh, the rumors of what was going on. And they didn't understand really what was happening before them. Luke recorded for us in Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 13. He said, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. They were talking about the crucifixion, the murder, the beatings, all those things. They were talking about Christ being put into the grave. And they heard that He had come out of the grave. They had heard all the rumors as if they weren't true. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holding that they should not know Him. I think we might say these men couldn't see the forest for the trees. Now I'm not indicating that these men were not believers in Jesus, but they were preoccupied. They were preoccupied with the story. The headline news, right? the inquirer of the day, or whatever the case may be. They believed in Jesus, but they were so caught up in the events that made up the forest, they couldn't see it. They were preoccupied. They were actually talking to the Lord Himself. They couldn't even realize it. Did the Lord intentionally blind them to where they could not see and understand who He was? But their eyes were holding that they should not know Him. It doesn't say that Jesus prevented them from knowing Him. 
They couldn't see it. Preoccupation can blind us to the realities of our relationship with God, can it? Now, if there's a nation in the world that has an opportunity to be preoccupied, it's our nation. We live in a microwave nation. Everything's disposable and throwaway. We don't have time for anything. We're always in a hurry. We never have enough money. We're always uh, just running around trying to get accomplished what we think we need to get accomplished. But you know, Judas was so preoccupied with his greed and with his covetousness, that there's nothing wrong with having money. I enjoy money. We all need to have it. And without it, we can't live in this world. But we don't need to love it because that's a part of what John was talking about, right? Enjoy its benefits, use it as a tool, and do what God wants us to do with it. But he was so preoccupied with uh, being the treasurer amongst the apostles that he, he didn't understand, he couldn't comprehend the great blessings with which the Lord had blessed him. Look at the opportunities that that man had. Can you imagine the encouragement that Judas could have extended to people if he had been able to stand on the day of Pentecost and preached the blood of Jesus Christ? A man who had made a mistake? A man who caused the Lord to go to the cross? Can you imagine if he had repented of that and stood on the day of Pentecost and preached His blood and said, if it can help me, I know it can help you. Can you imagine what a powerful soldier he could have been for the cross? But he was too preoccupied with the things of this world to be able to have repented in the proper way. John was warning his readers in hope that they could avoid the wickedness that this world has to offer. John explained to us in general terms the things that can preoccupy our attention. Notice what he said, 1 John 2 verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The things of the world, the sinful things of the world, they do not originate in God. They originate in Satan. And they're not a part of God because they are parts of the world. He designated them into three categories. The lust of the flesh, that is the lust after the flesh. That's what he's talking about. He's not referring to the outer coverings of our bodies. He's talking about the darker part of men and women, the the internal desires and the appetites that need to be fulfilled through indulging in lustfulness of the flesh, through carnal means. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about things that we can do in our bodies to commit sin. The lusts of the flesh exhibit exhibit themselves in the works of the flesh. Galatians 5 verse 19. He also spoke of the lust of the eyes. Those things that grab our attention as we look upon them with our eyes. They're awakened in us as, as an appeal to our sight. We look at something and we want to have it. I can recall one time... When I was just a young boy, maybe three or four years old, I went to the to a little uh, gas station store with my father, and I remember I had a pair of uh, overalls on, and we went in, and on the way out, 
I was standing up, this was the day before seat belts, I was standing up in the seat next to him, and I unzipped the bib on my overalls, and I said, look what I've got. And I had a whole handful of bubble gum. I saw that bubble gum, and I wanted it. Now, I didn't understand at that time that I was doing wrong, or I wouldn't have shown it to him. But, we still understand how how that comes about, right? I'd have just kept it. But see, we look at something and we want it. We want to have it. And it just overtakes us and it, it's like we can't resist it. Well, we can resist it. We can resist it. He warned against the pride of life. Solomon would have called those things vanity, pride, and worldly honor. And he knew it was empty. It did not hold anything for the person who was the follower of God. If we go all the way back to the garden, we see how Satan so expertly used all three methods on the first couple. The woman saw the forbidden fruit that was good for food, lust of the flesh. She looked upon it and she said it was beautiful to the eye. It was a beautiful fruit hanging there on that tree, lust of the eye. And it was to be desired to make one wise. Lust or the pride of life. You're going to be like God. Be just exactly like God. Well, that was a lie, wasn't it? Did it taste that good? I don't imagine it did. Was it that beautiful to throw away everything they had? I doubt it. I know it wasn't. But because of the techniques that Satan employed, he was able to to wrap the first couple up in the things of this world And they were so preoccupied by that that they were drawn away from God. That's what preoccupation does. We have to pay attention in this world. And where did their path lead? What, What did the path of preoccupation do for them? It led to physical death and spiritual separation from God. Notice what the great prophet Isaiah said, Isaiah 59, beginning with verse 1. He said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. He's not incapable of helping. He's not incapable of hearing our pleas, but when we live a life of sin, he doesn't hear us, meaning he doesn't act upon it. We've taken ourselves away from God through our preoccupation. It happened to those people, and if we're not vigilant, brethren, it can happen to us too. We have to be careful. Satan wants us to walk a path of preoccupation. Have you ever talked to someone and and discussed to them uh, things about uh, the Bible and how to become a Christian, and and they'll believe those things. And they'll say, yeah, I, I believe that, I'm going to do it. But I just can't do it right now. I just can't live the life of a Christian right now. i got too much stuff going on in my life. When I was up at Wheeler Hill, one of the brethren there worked with a man, and he told him, he said, I believe what you're saying, but the job I have prevents me from being a Christian. What? Just be a Christian. Don't allow anything to draw you away from God. Don't be preoccupied with anything. See, Satan wants us to walk the path of preoccupation. But he would be just as happy 
and just as thrilled and just as successful if we walked the path of disinformation. That's our second point. This is a path for the willful. Disinformation. We might call this the road to Damascus. The road to Damascus. Luke recorded in history for us, Acts 9, verses 1 and 2. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, talking about Christians, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Saul traveled that road, but he wasn't the only one traveling upon that road. The Jewish leaders, they, they, they should have, the road should be named after them, right? Because they knew the prophecies. We're talking about people who were considered to be scholars of the law, but they would not believe. Reminds me of people that we can turn on the TV today. You turn the TV on on a Sunday and you're seeing people like Benny Hinn. I don't know if you've ever heard of Benny Hinn. A famous faith healer. Well, what he is is a liar. He can't heal anybody. He knows he can't heal anybody. But he is disseminating disinformation. We might call that propaganda, right? But all it is is lies. He's not healing anyone. You know, it's very irritating to me when I turn the TV on and I see someone who claims to be a faith healer, but the only thing I've ever noticed that they healed was ever a backache or a headache or, or something you can't see. I want to know where those people were when our loved ones were dying in the hospital, right? Where was that fella? Why are you not at the hospital healing someone instead of disseminating disinformation? See, they're getting rich by peddling religion. That's not what religion is all about. Religion is not about becoming wealthy. That was one of the problems that the Pharisees had. They would cloak their actions in religion. They couldn't help their poor mother because they had to give a tenth of everything they had to the temple, right? Well, they were lying. They wanted to uh, keep it all for themselves. They were devouring the, the, the uh, livelihoods of widows and their homes and stealing from them. But Paul warned Timothy about the willful false teachers of his day and those who, who were more than happy to follow them. Notice what he warned. 2 Timothy 4 verse 3. Paul said, for the time will come, and it is here with us today, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now what exactly does that mean? Paul's saying not too, too far into the, into the future. You're going to come across people who claim to be members of the Lord's church who will not stand for sound doctrine to be taught. Now, whether it's teachings on marriage, divorce, and remarriage, whether it's teachings on uh, the sin of homosexuality, the sin of social drinking, as if drinking was social in any way. We're talking about any kind of a sin that, that they want to involve themselves in and they want to try to make it okay for that to happen. 
There's going to come a time when they won't endure, won't stand for sound doctrine, but they'll heap to themselves or gather to themselves teachers having itching ears. Those teachers' ears are itching and they want it to be scratched by the people who say, don't teach on this, don't teach on that. Paul says, but preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Do it when it's popular, and especially when it's not popular. I think that's what he's saying. But Saul traveled that road. John said, Beloved, 1 John 4, 1, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. We have to be careful. I've said it before, I'll say it again, and I'll say it as long as I'm preaching the gospel of Christ. Never take my word for it. Never take anybody's word for it. We're talking about your souls and my souls. And they are far too important. They are far too precious to rely upon what someone says when they cannot open the Bible, the book of God, and say, this is where I found it. This is what it says right here. This is what God wants us to do. If they can't do that, get away from them. Paul had to defend the faith against false apostles in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. They were going in and they were giving disinformation to everyone. They were teaching false doctrines. During Jesus' ministry, many of the chief priests and uh And leaders believed on Him, but they would not confess because they feared being cast out of the synagogue and they feared the Pharisees. See, they allowed themselves, number one, to be preoccupied. They had a bad case of preoccupation. They were giving in to the disinformation. That's not what God wants. They willfully ignored God. That's this path. The willful walk this path. But you know, here's something else we need to understand though. The willful will, will often be wholehearted in what they're doing, meaning they will be, they're sincere. Do you think Saul wasn't sincere? Oh, he was sincere. He believed what he was doing was what God wanted him to do. But he was falling for information that was not correct. You know, often governments use disinformation during times of war, during times of conflict, so they can, can interfere with the actions of the opposing government. See, different disinformation creates a misunderstanding. That's what Paul had done. He had fallen for that. He had fallen into that. A man as educated as Paul? Surely an educated man can't make a mistake like that. Well, that's what a lot of the world thinks, right? I may have told you a friend of mine in Memphis was speaking with a, with a preacher about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and they held error on that. The other preacher held error on it. Be married and divorced many times you want to. doesn't matter what the reason is. Get tired of your wife, get rid of her, get a younger one. Get an older one. Get one that cooks better. Get one that's a little better housekeeper. Whatever the case may be, just get you a new one anytime you get tired. It's like, like changing cars. He began to show him the truth and they began to study the Bible and then he asked my friend, he said, now where did you get your doctorate? Because I've got one. 
That doesn't mean a lot to me. I love education, don't get me wrong. I'm not up here to tell us to, to halt education. But I'm saying use common sense. Don't fall for disinformation. You know, Paul was extremely sincere. Remember what he told those on the Sanhedrin Council, Acts 23, verse 1? He said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. He had never violated his conscience in any way. He thought he was doing right. The world is full of people who believe they're doing right, but someone has misinformed them. And that's a sad thing. There's so many people traveling this path. Paul had taken the word of men who were thought to be experts in the law of Moses. He fell for that. Now there are other paths that are available to each of us. There are a whole lot of paths out there that we can take that can lead us away from God. That can prevent us from spending eternity in glory with Him. But there's only one path out there. There's only one path on which we can walk that will take us to the Lord. And that is the path of investigation. Investigation. This is the path not of the willful, but of the willing. We might call this the road to Gaza. Do you recall the Ethiopian eunuch? He traveled the road to Gaza. Luke spoke of that account in the history of the church, the book of the Acts of the Apostles, and he said this, Acts 8 beginning with verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all of her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. That man not only loved God, he was sincere in, in what he was doing. He had just come back from Jerusalem observing the Jewish celebration of the Passover. He loved God. He wanted to do what God wanted him to do. And he had an open and he had an honest heart. Now, Philip began to speak to that man. Do you recall? He went up to him and he said, Do you understand what you're reading? He said, How can I unless some man guide me or help me? So I need some help in understanding this. And that's okay to have help in understanding something. But they need to be able to back it up with Scripture. But you know that's exactly what Philip did, wasn't it? Do you notice that Philip didn't say, Well, I believe or I think you ought to do this. It says, and he began at that same Scripture that the eunuch was reading from and taught him Jesus. The, the eunuch didn't rely on Philip's Word. The eunuch relied on the Word of God. And he was willing to accept that. The difference between the eunuch and Paul prior to his conversion was Paul was prejudiced. He was closed-minded. He, he had the mindset that he had been doing this his whole life. It was good for his parents. It was good for his ancestors. It was good for all those that came after him. Do you remember how he, how he described himself? 
I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. Boy, you didn't get much better than that, did you? He was closed-minded. He didn't want to hear the truth. He fell for this misinformation because there was no investigation. He just took someone's word for it. You know, he heard one of the greatest sermons we have recorded for us in the New Testament in Acts chapter 7. He heard one of the greatest sermons that was ever preached. Stephen preached it. And what happened? It fell on deaf ears. He said it was okay to those standing around, go ahead and murder that man. Stone him to death. And he held the coats of those who murdered Stephen. That sermon just was the, the, the seed that fell on the wayside, wasn't it? It didn't even penetrate his heart at all. One of the greatest examples of those who were willing to investigate the Word of God for themselves has to be the Bereans. They had a willing heart and they wanted to make sure what they were doing was exactly what God wanted them to do. Do you know who their preacher was? Paul, an inspired apostle, but they were not about to take his word for that. The soul is too precious. And they searched the Scriptures daily, it says, whether those things were so, Acts 17.11. They wanted to make sure what He taught them was what they needed to hear. You know, we put out our gardens and we plant things. We want to make sure what we plant's good, right? We don't want to plant a weed. We've got plenty of those. We don't want to plant a denomination in the world. We've got plenty of those. We want to plant the New Testament church. We can open up our Bibles. We can read about it. And we can have that church that we read about in these pages. And we don't have to take anybody's word for it. We can search it out ourselves. And that's exactly what God wants. But when the willing investigates the truth, and they come to the knowledge of the truth, they must never waver in it. We have to stick with it. We have to hang in there, right? Sometimes we think we've got it bad in this life, don't we? Or at least I do. Sometimes I'll sit around and I'll think, poor old me. How in the world can I continue to carry this burden? I don't have it bad in this life. I've got it good. I have been so blessed in this life. I have a faithful wife. I have four beautiful daughters. I work with a congregation of the Lord's people that is the best you could ever hope to work with. But then sometimes I catch myself sitting around thinking, woe is me. i tell you who ought to sit around or who should have been sitting around thinking of that, but they weren't, was the people of the first century. The people who lived under the rule of Domitian, the king of, of uh, the emperor of Rome, they had something to worry about, didn't they? They had something to be concerned with. They had to worry about being drugged out into the street, claim Caesar's God or we'll kill you, Drag your kids out into the street, claim Caesar's God or we'll kill them or take them off with us one. What are you going to do? Now that's something to consider, isn't it? I may sit around in this life and think, boy, I've got it bad and I might waver a little bit. Those people didn't waver. Notice what Jesus told them in Revelation 2 verse 10. He said, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried and ye shall have tribulation ten days or a short period of time. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. 
God expects no less from us today. If, if those people of the first century can withstand and not waver from having their lives threatened and they remained faithful to God, what should we be doing? He expects us to do that. He wants us to investigate the truths of the Bible, have a willing heart, accept what we have been taught from the Bible. And if we've been involved in something else in our lives, let it go. Let it go, because the crown of life will certainly be worth it all. Don't we sing a song like that? Heaven will surely be worth it all. And we're going to travel different paths in this life. There is a path along which we can walk that will lead us to the glory of heaven. But there are so many paths out there that will lead us in another direction. There's only one path to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. He says, I'm the way the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Not through some man-made denomination. Now we can walk the path of preoccupation and be distracted from God. We can walk the path of disinformation and then we can believe something and never learn the truths of heaven. Or we can walk that path of investigation. We can look into the Bible we can determine how we can become Christians. We can determine how we can be added to the New Testament church that we read about in the book of Acts and on through the balance of the New Testament. We can have faith that Jesus is who He said He was. We can repent of all past sins, wanting to turn our lives around, confess that He is the Son of God, that He was raised from the dead, that He's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, ruling over the kingdom at this point, does it get any better than that? And being immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins, and we can be in heaven one day. John said you can know that you know that you're saved. That is such a blessing. And we can walk that path. But sometimes in this life, we get off the path a little bit, right? Sometimes we get a little preoccupied. Sometimes things happen. But we can come back into the path as long as we're alive, as long as we have the mental faculties to understand that and to repent of those things. All we have to do is repent, confess our sins, ask God to forgive us, whether publicly or privately. And He will do that. And we can know that He'll do that. He is just to forgive us. He's righteous to forgive us. 1 John 1 verse 7. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation tonight, if you're not walking the path of investigation on the way to heaven. Do that. Change that before we leave here as we stand and as we sing.